BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Good to see you. And welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, I look forward to every one of our podcasts together, but I've been especially looking forward to this one because it's all about one public policy issue that I've always been fascinated by, and that is what's the proper relationship between church and state? It's a question, of course, that our founding fathers never resolved, and it's a question we've been struggling with ever since. Are we a secular nation? that welcomes people of all faiths, or no faith at all? Or are we a Christian nation that merely tolerates while looking down upon non-Christians? And those issues have perhaps never been more critical than they are today with the emergence of white evangelicals as a powerful driving force in the Republican Party. They advocate what's called white Christian nationalism. And they preached that our founding fathers were all white Christians who founded a white Christian nation, that white Christians are the only true Americans, that the Bible, not the Constitution, is our founding document, and that there is no wall of separation between church and state. And they are dead wrong about everything. But they're still a major political force supporting candidates Republican candidates who buy their extreme views of religion. I believe it's a false, distorted, and dangerous political movement. And today's guest, the Reverend Jim Wallace, head of the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown University, calls white Christian nationalism a danger to our democracy. Jim Wallace, good to reconnect with you, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod. As we say in my tradition, Bill, it's a blessing to be back with you. (laughs) Well, thank you. So, Jim, a couple of weeks ago uh, online, I attended a program that you moderated at uh, Georgetown University at the Center on Faith and Justice, which you had, a program on white Christian nationalism, which I must tell you I found very informative and also very frightening. So for those of our... uh, listeners who may not know exactly what it give us could you give us a just a little summary of what white christian nationalism is what are its basic tenets well it is frightening bill uh to be sure and it's it's i would call it an old heresy that is undergirding an old ideology the old ideology i call america's original sin of white supremacy. But there is an old heresy now that's coming back, white Christian nationalism. And the two are coming together because they're deeply afraid of where we are in history, that we are, you know, we are on the verge, on the edge of a genuine multiracial democracy in America. And so this is pushback uh, from those who are frightened by that. And let me just say, uh, I call 
white Christian nationalism a heresy. Uh, we have to go beyond politics here. This is a religious heresy. Here's what I mean. Uh, the name spells the heresy. It's white. It's white. Mm. And the gospel message is global. It's completely multiracial, interracial, across all boundaries. But this one is white. Uh, uh, it's Christian, it says, but not Christian in the sense of service, like we'd like it to mean, but domination. Domination by the Christians. And third, it's, it's nationalism. <laughs> and while we all love our country and we all are patriotic in different kinds of ways, nationalism flies in the face of Jesus' great commission to his disciples at the end of his time on earth when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, teaching them to do whatever I've commanded you. So this is, this is built a false gospel. I'll call it a false white gospel in reaction to the real prospect of a multiracial d- democracy. And the body of Christ globally, the church globally, is right now is the most diverse human community on the planet. And they're afraid of that. So is this something new or is it just, are they just more open and more aggressive about what they're preaching? Yeah, it's not new. I call it the old heresy of, some called it Christian dominionism. Mm. There's old notions that this nation was meant to be uh, first for white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and uh, let in some more white people. Even the Irish got in at some point. But finally, it's uh, that this is a nation that is supposed to be for white Christians. Uh, and, and they're threatened by immigrants. They're threatened by immigration. And they're threatened by, by full equality for, for black people. I mean, we've only had a multiracial democracy, as you know, Bill, for 60 years since yeah. Civil Rights Act in 1965. They're pushing that back. They're trying to push back the civil rights movement. So Barbara William Skinner and I have just coordinated something called FACE, plural, FACE United to Save Democracy, in 10 key states that were under threat of voter suppression and intimidation. And we were training, we trained 700 poll chaplains who went to these, mm. these polls that were really in danger with their clergy collars. I call it lawyers and collars, clergy <laughs> collars and stoles. And their presence was very comforting. Even poll workers were glad to see them and a lot of voters. And uh, there weren't enough, the incidents of violence that we were afraid of were not as great as we feared, but there were incidents, and we surrounded those incidents with poll chaplains, you know, to calm things down. But basically, they're trying to push back the civil rights movement very overtly. So, so this whole notion of a false—I'm I'm, going to call it a false gospel, as opposed to the true gospel, which really is a kind of such a broad, inclusive message that really could lay help lay fu- spiritual foundations for democracy. We, we may need a theology of democracy. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's what I'm working on here at Georgetown. Well, I, I, I'm glad you raised the, the presence of these uh, clergy and, 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 uh, and yeah. others that you recruited because uh, at the vo- polling places, because voter suppression, uh, these attempts to suppress the vote, particularly for black and brown voters, was a real manifestation of white Christian nationalism, wasn't it? I mean, well, it really is. Was their operative strategy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
So uh, we had these calls, training calls, every single week with these poll chaplains up going up to the election. And, and my job on the calls was to do the moral vision, they called it. And I would go back to the, the text, the first chapter in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, where it says, And God created all humankind in God's image and likeness. Image and likeness. This is imago Dei is the Latin word. So this is the foundation for all our human rights, civil rights, voting rights. And we use that text again and again. And I, and I said, any, any act of voter suppression, any, any restriction, any law that's intended uh, to suppress votes based on skin color is an assault on Imago Dei, mm. a literal assault on the image of God. So I called us the Imago Dei movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Now, and so all over the country, we had these chaplains, and they were Christian, uh, black clergy led in large part, mm-hmm. but also Jewish rabbis joined and imams joined. And my favorite part was a lot of younger clergy, younger people joined. And, uh, and, and it was very impressive to see them showing up as a calming, informing, but also uh, alert presence to things that would happen that were wrong. So this is not cr- white Christian nationalism. As you say, it's not really a religion. Or it's really um, a political movement, if you will, or an ideology. How big is it? I mean, are they massive? I mean, you know, in numbers? Well, there's, uh, they are growing. They are growing in many of our uh, so-called megachurches. Mm. Um, and there's a revival. They call it the revival movement. Joe, you know, Michael Flynn's out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. <laughs> preaching, and, and they're having baptisms and uh, big movements growing in these evangelical Pentecostal megachurches. Uh, and it is totally political. It's totally partisan. They're they're, o- they're overt about that. I mean, one of the Georgia pastors going up to the election we're now still facing uh, said, well, let's vote Christian. All vote Christian. Let's vote for whoever is most like Jesus. And that, of course, in Georgia is Herschel Walker. <laughs> now, to be able, yeah, it, it, it does deserve a laugh. And you got Raphael Warnock, my good friend Raphael Warnock, who, who is still a pastor he, I love. He says, "I'm still a pastor who happens to be a U.S. senator, but he's a, he's a Christian minister, and yet his opponent, with all his uh, her Herschel Walker's life stories, is more like Jesus." So this is a politicizing, a politicizing of re- religion for very right wing causes. So it is indeed uh, masquerading. Mm-hmm as a religious movement and really is a political one. And their goal, I mean, they're really out. But I, I just have to add, I think because I made a note of this, uh, that was at your seminar, Jim, that someone, one of your guests quoted Michael Flynn as as yeah. saying, quote, they walk, like, they walk like us and talk like us, but they do not want what we want. <laughs> Boy. Well, I, I've used that quote painfully several times because, indeed, um, uh, what they want is a genuine multiracial democracy. And, Bill, you and I know that uh, there really isn't yet a multiracial democracy in the world. And if we were to pull this off, or when we, not if, when we pull this off, when we're able to achieve that together with people of faith and people of no faith at all but moral conscience, uh, 
it will be a significant achievement, but they don't want that. They want a nation that is that is controlled uh, by white people. That's really what their vision is, and uh, and all and even white people who have a particular right wing political agenda. So it's it's a politicizing of the gospel for ideological purposes, and that's why the best way to fight it. I was in a call with um, some philanthropists other day, very secular philanthropists. And I said, you know, some of you think the answer to something like white Christian nationalism is just secularism. Let's just get rid of all this religious stuff. Let's all just, you know. I said, no, that's the wrong response. The answer, the best answer to bad religion is better religion. Mm. And we'll need to under undercut this, uh, this false gospel with gen- genuine faith. And going back, you might recall Michael Curry, Bishop Michael Curry, this presiding bishop Episcopal Church, for those of you, your listeners, to remind them, he, he was the preacher at the royal wedding in England oh, a few years oh, ago. Right. He kept he kept saying on that session that you saw, go to the text, yeah. go to the text, go to the text, and it, and that's what I'm doing more and more. I'm going to the text and saying, do we believe this or not? If you don't believe it, admit you don't believe it, but you can't keep saying this right-wing uh, Christian nationalism, and the text doesn't support that. So I'm going right back to the text to undermine what they're saying. Uh, and and these uh, white Christian nationalists go yeah. to their text. Uh, they go to this old canard, I believe, right, that our founders, they just say this, that our founders were all Christians, and they created a Christian nation. Yeah, well, uh, they don't go to any biblical texts because there aren't any, <laughs> right? Yeah, for, for them, they, they 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 go to their interpretation of the founding texts, and they're just wrong. They're wrong historically. The nation was not created by Christian men who wanted the Christian nation. It was a very pluralistic, religious, and non religious people, many were deists, uh, yeah. Unitarians, all kind of, but but they particularly did not want a nation that was dominated by religion. And I, I want to tell your listeners, I believe in the separation of church and state, but that does not mean the segregation of moral values from public life. So all of our social movements, Bill, you and I have fought in for years, had 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 often had you know, religion and faith as an animating core, like the like civil, the civil rights, rights movement, movement, right? Yeah. So we're all for that, but not religion that dominates from the top down in the name of, in fact, uh, uh, of of white men, which it, it's it's white and it's very patriarchal at the same mm-hmm. time. It, you 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 have to wonder. At least I do when I hear them who deny, of course, that there's any such thing as a separation of church and state, ignoring what Jefferson wrote, that it, you wonder if these people have ever read James Madison or Thomas Jefferson and what they said about religious liberties in Virginia to start with. Or should have they ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? <laughs> Better yet, right? Uh, no, I, I think they, they, they use and abuse texts, and they, they're... They prevail on people's ignorance of the text. That's true. At a deeper level, they're prevailing on fear. 
uh, and the trajectory of their politics is the politics of fear leading to the politics of hate, leading to the politics of violence, fear to hate to violence. That is their trajectory. And uh, I've been watching these people, and these are some of the same pastors. I had a debate with one of them who literally was sitting on the altar of his church with an AR-15 in his, oh, in his lap. Oh, God. In his lap, on the, on the church. So there really is, uh, f- the, they're following this autocratic movement all over the world. It's not unique to here. But it's a movement toward racialized autocracy. And that's what the Trump administration mm-hmm. really invoked. And, you know, you can't say Trump caused all this, but he evoked it. It was always there. I would say that he appealed to our worst demons. And every nation has better angels and worse demons. So our better angels showed up in 1965 with a passage of a Voting Rights Act. Uh, but our worst demons want to push that back. And so Trump and the Trumpists and his predecessors now appeal to that fear that white people have of their losing something. They're being replaced, the great replacement theory. And they're going to lose some, something that they think they ought to have, which is control. Uh, control of, uh, you know, white supremacy means white control and white normality and everything else is a threat. So they're appealing to fear. And Jesus says, um, perfect love casts out fear. (laughs) And I believe that's true. And you look at these people, I've talked to some who have left the white militia movements. And it's usually been out of relationship, people who reached out to them in a whole different kind of way. And they tell me it was never ideology that brought them into these movements. It was a sense of belonging that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any belonging community, and these people offered a sense of of belonging. But then that hate and that fear and violence is real. So this is really more than Democratic Republican politics. This is the real danger of autocracy growing all over the world, anti-democracy autocracy with a religious kind of uh, underpinning to it. So you mentioned a, a little earlier that this is a totally political totally partisan. I would add one other uh, aspect of that. It is totally Trump, totally Trumpism. Jim, I want to play you a quick bite from, this is a Trump supporter uh, talking about why he has such faith in Donald Trump. Uh, The biblical principles that Trump embraces is what really, uh, what I really like about him. I've never heard another president invoke the name of God and Jesus more than I've heard uh, President Donald Trump, J. Trump, and that's the the main thing for me is that he's embracing biblical principles and uh, follow the Bible, and you can't go wrong. Uh, is that the Donald Trump you know? Yeah, Donald Trump, who's lived his life following the Bible and not going wrong. Yeah, right. Um, well, this is, but this is showing how they're appealing to. Underneath that is a lot of fear of what's happening in the country that he doesn't want to happen. And Trump, Trump is his uh, his tough guy, his power broker. Uh, we've just lost, as you know, a dear uh, friend and columnist, Michael Gerson. Uh, if I may, uh, your your obituary or your uh, article uh, about Michael Gerson was beautiful, done, Jim, and he was a wonderful, wonderful man, a great writer, and a great human being. So, thank you for that. Yeah, go ahead. He was indeed, and he talked about how how 
the evangelicals who overlook uh, Trump's, uh, 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 you know, not just immorality, but amorality and infidelities and, and pathological lying and all the rest. It's not just dangerous to democracy, which Michael Gerson said very faithfully, consistently, but it's also dangerous to the integrity of faith, particularly his evangelical faith that he grew up with. So what's happened, this is a test of democracy for us, Bill, Mm -hmm. but it's also a test of faith. Um, Because if the faith community doesn't come down on the side of democracy, genuine multiracial democracy, uh, democracy will be in deep trouble, number one, uh, and, and faith, the integrity of faith will be in deep trouble. And third, I'd say generationally, a whole new generation's watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're watching us. And if faith comes down on the side of, of racial autocracy, they're going to never go to church again. So the future of faith is also at stake here. So democracy, faith, and, and a generation of new believers are not. So to, this is a pretty big deal for me. And for a lot, a lot of us in the center of Georgetown, this is where we're really focused. And I'll tell you, um, when the universe, I was at Sojourners for years, as you know, and I was off the show, uh, having founded that, led that for 50 years. I started when I was six. <laughs> um, uh, but, but then Georgetown brought me in. And when a university like Georgetown takes your two favorite words in your life, faith and justice, and makes them a chair in a center, you're a happy camper. So I love being able to do the events that you saw last week, and we're going to stay focused on this issue of uh, faith and democracy. Well, I'm so glad that you're there, and there is so much on the line, as you have pointed out. Uh, Jim, uh, our guest, Jim Wallace, Reverend Jim Wallace, head of the Center for Faith and, on Faith and Justice at Georgetown University, has called white Christian nationalism the single greatest threat to democracy in America Let's talk more about that after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. I want to remind you that cold weather is coming and the holidays are coming, so it's time to think seriously about A, some warm clothing, and B, some holiday shopping. I got the answer for you. Go online to carolpressscarves.com carolpressscarves.com. You've heard me talk before about my wife, Carol. Uh, She is a weaver. Uh, She makes these beautiful rayon chenille or bamboo scarves. Each one is handwoven. Each one is a work of art. I got to tell you, uh, I never wear one on the metro or anywhere else without somebody stopping me and saying, where did you get that scarf? It's so beautiful. Uh, Check it out yourself, Uh, carolpressscarves.com. The perfect gift for this season, perfect gift for yourself or for someone you love. Check it out at carolpressscarves.com. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back with uh, today's guest, uh, Reverend Jim Wallace, who is head of the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown uh, University. Uh, Jim, we've been talking about white Christian nationalism. Clearly, they are these people. They were out to uh, take control of and remake uh, our schools, our legislatures, state legislatures, the Congress, and the courts. I, I, I want to ask you, it from my perspective, it looks to me like they've got five out of nine of the justices on the United States Supreme Court. Does that concern you? Oh, yeah. And um, and Trump, back to Trump, yeah. he appointed a lot of uh, members of the judiciary below the Supreme Court. Absolutely. And we have yet to see what that's going to mean. I was, I was uh, heartened by how many uh, judges refused his, his, uh, uh, his campaign to uh, overturn the election, even Trump appointed judges. So that was, that was one, uh, one uh, relief that we saw, but clearly he has tried. And that, that's why some of the people on the right in the religious world supported him because of the judges primarily. And so the Supreme court, and I don't know what to expect from the Supreme court, but time and time again, I'm expecting the worst and the worst happens. So the biggest thing I'm worried about now, I'm sure you're going to cover this on your podcast going forward when it comes up, is this legislative authority piece. Yes. They want to put legislatures uh, in charge of elections, mm-hmm. singly, not with the governor, not with the attorney general, but the legislatures, which are skewed in our system to be white and rural. That's how they're built, to be skewed that way. And to put them over government uh, is a very dangerous thing. And this is what the far rights wanted for many years. That's coming up in a case with the Supreme Court. And that's something to watch very carefully, and I'm sure you will. Yeah, I'm, I'm back to the court. I mean, if you look at the most recent Dobbs decision, uh, the Hobby Lobby decision in 2014, uh, the more recent decision about the football coach leading his team in prayer at the 50-yard line in the middle of a game, right? Um, the uh, question of uh, funding for religious schools, I mean, this is consistently, right, the work of Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, and, and Brett Kavanaugh. It's like, you wonder whether it's the Constitution or the Bible that they're, or the Bible or the Constitution that they're reading. I don't think either one, <laughs> to be honest. Good point. They're reading from the Federalist Society. Yeah. Basically, it's a very clear uh, ideology. It's not 
constitutional or Bible, in my view, back to this question, what are you reading? What are you reading? Uh, they're not reading, this woman isn't reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not reading the founders. They're not reading the Constitution. Uh, the Bible runs against all of this. So, so they're reading their ideology into religion and into their judicial philosophy. And so it's, it's a, again, it's a politicizing of the Supreme Court, which is very dangerous. Uh, the only bright news is the newest member of the Supreme Court is just extraordinary. And her intellect and voice is stronger than all the others. And she may, she may, I want her voice to, to be clear and, and, and uh, preeminent going forward. Is there also an anti-gay bias uh, that makes up this movement, this political movement? Oh, clearly there's, uh, they, they use the issues of abortion and LGBTQ rights. Uh, but even there on the evangelical side, there's a real generational shift. So even with white evangelicals, a younger generation of white evangelicals is much more open and welcoming and supportive of their friends who are LGBTQ. So, so mm -hmm. they're losing the battle on some of these things culturally, which is why they're fighting so hard politically. Um, so what, when they, when you look at the Bible, the primary issues uh, for me are issues like poverty and racism and war, and their issues are abortion and gay marriage. Mm -hmm. So again, yeah. they're not reading the Bible. I, in my class last week at Georgetown, uh, these are students who are very multi-faith and no faith at all. Many of them are part of you know the 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 group that says they don't affiliate with religion, the, the nuns, none of the above. Oh, yeah. Many of them are that, which I, I love the nuns. And, 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 uh, I said, how many verses in the Bible do you think are about poor people and poverty and oppression? It was a quiz. Well, there's 2000, 2000. So I went through this exercise from my early seminary days of holding a Bible. I said, we, back in those days in seminary, we cut, found, <laughs> All those passages, cut those passages about the poor out of the Bible, cut them out. They're on the floor. And I would take that Bible out to preach and I would say, my friends, this is the American Bible. It's full of holes. And that's not the holy Bible we wanted. <laughs> full of holes. And it's all on the floor. And we might as well all take our scissors and begin to cut. And, and so now there's a, there's a new Bible, Bible Society, called the Poverty or the Justice Bible. It tells that story. And it put all those scriptures off the floor back in orange in the Bible. So there's a real movement afoot to restore the integrity of what the Bible really says, as opposed to what these people say it says for their own political ideology. And, of course, it reminds me of Jefferson's Bible, right, where he took out all references to the, to the divinity of Jesus, if I, if I have that historically correct, I believe. Yeah, I would keep all that in, but I would put the, <laughs> put the stuff to the poor back in as well. Right. But I just, I just, just one final point on the, uh, yeah, on the sure. LGBT community. I mean, we've seen increasing ugly rhetoric, a lot of it from evangelicals, toward the 
toward the uh, LGBTQ community. And I, I haven't seen any direct connection, but I have to think that leads to things like uh, this tragedy that we saw in Colorado Springs uh, last weekend, right, where, where people... Yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt about that. But again, again, Christians, uh, it's amazing to me, Bill, how Jesus has survived Christianity. <laughs> and and an awful lot of people who aren't Christians, uh, in my classes, they're really drawn to this Jesus. And when they read what he said, his teachings. So the question, you know, their old bracelet, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a good bracelet, you know, uh, and, and, you know, can't, how, how can we imagine Jesus not caring about immigrants, not caring about those who are the low-income families struggling to survive, uh, the homeless, the, the poor, and LGBTQ people? I mean, Jesus would not say and do what many of his alleged followers say and do about LGBTQ people. He just wouldn't, and everyone knows that down deep. So this is, again, appealing to fear. There's a real fear here that is useful uh, to autocratic movements. They always appeal to that fear. So, you know, I, I'm doing a new book on a lot of this, and it's going to be about the false white gospel and about how, how the, the genuine gospel could help to lay the foundations and provide some spiritual guidance for democracy. And, and I think... Um, uh, you know, I I I want to I want to take on bad religion mm-hmm. with better religion, mm-hmm. and what Jesus said, what the Bible says, is 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 the best answer to these people who distort both for their own political ideology. Now, one point I wanted to be sure uh, that we talk about here is briefly uh, that I heard expressed uh, again in your your program, which I thought was so important that when we talk about white Christian nationalism, we are not talking about all conservative Christians. I thought that was extremely important, Jim. Talk about that. Well, it, that's a thanks for raising that. N- not, not all conservative Christians uh, fall into this camp at, at all. My Gerson didn't, for example. Right. Uh, and uh, it's my bad. I, I won't, I still won't, my, my wife and I argue about this, I still won't concede the term evangelical to these right-wing ideologues because the word evangelical is my tradition. Uh, And back to Jesus, the way he defined evangelical was this. It is opening sermon, his opening gig, it might say his first press conference at Nazareth. And he laid out his mission, quoting Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And the word good news there in the Aramaic is is the evangel from which we get the word evangelical. So to be a genuine evangelical is to have your good news to the poor be clear. That's not what evangelicals stand for. So there are a lot of conservative Christians out there who may be conservative in their faith, their love for the Bible, but they're not at all part of this this movement, this uh, white Christian movement. So people shouldn't equate certainly all Christians, even all evangelicals, with this movement. This is a movement very deliberately constructed to win political battles. And, uh, and I, you know, people like Mike Gerson felt politically homeless 
for many years, and there's a lot of people like him. I hear pastors trying to preach the gospel, and even in their congregations getting pushback and and reaction, even though we're talking about vaccinations. In fact, I do a lot of time with young pastors, and they're trying to trying to be faithful to what the gospel says, and they're uh, getting real pushback, even death threats sometimes from these these minority these people who are. Uh, it's sort of like the the Christian militia. Mm-hmm. Right. So so I think they need, need to be uh, isolated. Uh, and those whom we can persuade by the gospel, bring them back. But Bill, I always say that social movements need to know two things: who they can persuade and who they need to defeat. Both are important. So I want to persuade. Uh, some good Christian folk, maybe some good conservative folk who are stuck, caught up in this, don't even know exactly what, what it is. I want to persuade as many of them as I can, but I want to defeat the white Christian nationalist movement. It's a political movement that I'm committed to defeat. It, if it is the single greatest threat to democracy in America, as you say, how do we defeat it? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm, we're having a retreat on that, mm-hmm. uh, a quiet retreat uh, in mid-December. Advent is the time in, for us in the Christian faith of, of finding Jesus again, welcoming Jesus back. So right after this election, I thought, what a good time yeah. <laughs> to reflect on the election in Advent and to welcome Jesus back. So we've got about 40 national they're heads of denominations, faith-based organizations, and networks on the ground. And it isn't just to make statements. We'll make our statements. It's to create a strategy. So I think clear statements and good strategy, almost a campaign at the local level, uh, to not let this go, uh, uh, you know, they can't go without us being responsive to it. So we're gonna we're gonna figure out, and really they're they're a- aiming at twenty twenty four. Let's all be yeah, clear, right? They're aiming at twenty twenty four. So this was a skirmish. This twenty twenty two election, the war, the big war for them, is twenty twenty four. They're gonna bring on all their guns and literally, literally their guns. Um, they're gonna bring it out and try to 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 unfairly uh, win that election. And so we're planning on, though there'll be more poll chaplains for 2024, we'll be organized around the country, uh, and we'll be making alliances. It'll be interfaith, we'll, you know, rabbis and imams and, and younger and older believers and clergy. And so we want to create a, a really strong interfaith movement that really recovers the essence, the truth, the, the core of our faith. And doesn't let these distortions based on fear and hate and violence win politically. It's a battle for democracy over autocracy. It's a battle for genuine faith over false religion. And it, it's it's a battle really for the soul of the nation. The name of my podcast is The Soul of the Nation, even before Joe Biden coined that first <laughs> right. But it's really the soul of the nation that's at stake here. 
And you and I both care about that pretty deeply. Absolutely. And where you lead, Jim Wallace, we will follow. <laughs> and thank you for being uh, our leader. Uh, and thanks so much for your time today on the Bill Press Pod. Bless you, Bill. And that's it for today's podcast with the Reverend Jim Wallace from Georgetown University and the Center on Faith and Justice. We'll have a link in the episode notes to today's podcast to Jim's own podcast, Soul of the Nation. Soul of the Nation. Check it out and uh, keep up with Jim's great work there at Georgetown. In the meantime, folks, happy Thanksgiving. Have a great time with your friends and your family. And we'll be back on Friday, not with a roundtable this week, but with a very special podcast that I promise you, because it's a holiday season, it's Thanksgiving, I promise you Friday's podcast will be totally non-political. No politics at all for Friday. So come back and see us then again. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.